and welcome to IRI Growth Insights, featuring IRI thought leaders, industry partners, and guests. For more than 40 years, IRI has been known for its invaluable data, but these podcasts delve into the insights the data reveal to fuel market disruption and market growth for those in the CPG, retail, healthcare, and media markets. I'm your host, Joan Driggs, coming to you from IRI's corporate headquarters in Chicago. Hello, and welcome to another episode of IRI Growth Insights. Um, In fact, we're going to have to change that name because very soon we will be announcing our merged name with NPD. Um, For now, I'll just refer to NPD and IRI. So as I continue to learn about NPD, I've had the really good fortune of meeting some incredible and insightful people. And today I'm joined by Kristen McLean. Executive Director, Business Development, and Industry Analyst across entertainment, but with a special focus on books. And you're wondering, okay, why books? Well, in speaking with Kristen, I've learned about the connection between the books that consumers are buying and reading and their behavior, um, a lot of which kind of plays out in the consumer goods and the general merchandise industries that we cover. So welcome, Kristen. Thanks. It's great to be here. Yeah. So in talking about like, I want to get into more of like consumer demand as revealed by books. So if you could tell us, like just start off, like what books tell us about consumer behavior? Like what, how how did you come to this conclusion or make this connection? So, um, you know, when you stop to think about it, books are really just ideas wrapped up as a trade object, right? They're very unusual compared to other general merchandise goods in that, you know, if someone is trying to solve a problem or is looking to research something or is interested or aspiring to do something, they often will buy a book as part of that process. So because the book's data is very deep, so our data set, which is called BookScan, tracks the U.S. trade book market meaning the consumer part of the book market. Uh, And we see a lot of books flowing around the United States. So in the print part of the market, we see about 13 to 14 million units a week flowing around in our data. And underneath every single one of those books sold, there is a subject code. We have about 6,000 subject codes in the data. So that means that, um, you know, in addition to just saying we sold X number of books this week, or we sold this many books in Cincinnati, we can actually say, well, hey, cookbooks in a particular category are up this week. People are really interested in in this form of cooking or this form of entertaining. Uh, or we can say, hey, it looks like people are a little worried about their finances right now because we're seeing books about personal finance spike. Right down to very, very what I call quiet signals. So, for instance, um, we had a client in the outdoor sporting goods business come to us and say, hey, there are a lot of new people in our hunting department. We don't really understand what's going on. Can you can you take a look and see if you can help us explain this? And we were able to go into the data for in the sporting goods category of under hunting and fishing and discover that there was a spike of books going on about dressing your own game. And it wasn't actually hunting season when this was happening, but it was during the um, acute period of the spike in food prices last year. So what was happening was people were getting much more serious about the idea of hunting and um, prepping their own food uh, off the land. 
So it's just, it's super fascinating. And it's my great pleasure to work with this data every day and to really look for these types of signals coming out of it. I think this is so fan- fascinating. And now I'm going to ask about books on raising your own chickens because egg prices are through the roof. So I'm guessing that people are going to want to start raising their own chickens. We definitely have books about raising your own chickens. We have books about farmsteading, homesteading, um, all of that stuff. And, you know, like, so when the pandemic started, um, it was almost like a Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Like we could see exactly what people were thinking about in the data So for instance, books about canning and preserving spiked immediately. People started to think about, you know, basically if they're, if they're going to have to stay inside their house and they were going to have to stockpile their food, um, there was a definitely a spike in pickling and in canning. Um, and also, you know, of course everybody knows about it, but bread making went crazy right away. So, you know, it's, it's just a super interesting thing to watch. So you know, you you trended like, or you were able to like map out that consumer behavior throughout the pandemic, and bread making. Like for me, that's a natural one that I just don't hear about it anymore. So, have you seen some of these things keep up, or some of these um, behaviors kind of fall off? So, in this, like specifically in bread making and baking generally, we definitely are seeing sales off of what they were at the high point, which was really um, the twenty twenty into winter 2021. That was really the high point for that. Um, But I will say that cookbooks generally, and many of the things that people took up during the pandemic, things like crafting and hobbies, they're still above where they were in 2019. So the fact that people had a good long time to, um, you know, explore some of these these things uh, has definitely made them um, hold on to some of this behavior. Some of this behavior is sticky. But, you know, in cooking in particular, that's that for me is one of the most interesting parts of the data that we track because cookbooks are definitely still up over where they were before the pandemic. But what is selling now is very different than what sold in the first six months of the pandemic. So I just I mentioned that baking is down, but um, now we're seeing things about quick and easy. We're seeing more um, more crock pot type books selling. We're seeing a lot more one pan, one bowl, one pot type cookbook. So now what people are looking for are things that will help them as they are now easing back into life at work, where everybody's back to school, and we're more or less back to a version of life where we're having to, you know, be out of the house more and more. You know, it's so interesting because we do have the consumer shopper data that Mm. absolutely mirrors what you just said. So Consumer surveys, we know that consumers are still making 80% of their meals at home, and that's compared to less than 50% pre-pandemic. So, yep, we're tracking you right there. And I also completely am aligned with your um, observation that people are looking for more convenient, quick and easy, uh, one pot or, you know, easy prep meals because that's what's trending even with products. We we track something every year called new product pace setters. And it's like the top selling products um, for food and non-food. And what's trending right now are a lot of those light, those convenient options, whether it's frozen or, you know, quick and easy prep. Um, that's definitely trending. So I, this is, this is why I wanted you on this podcast because it is so interesting and it's just a great observation. And 
What I really am interested too is that how does that kind of play out across the store? You mentioned something with like the outdoor and the hunting and people, you know, actually like maybe buying the gear for doing this. So we know that at the outset of the pandemic, like small home appliances just were flying off the shelves, like those those um, crack pots and instant pots that you mentioned. Anything else that you're seeing across the store that might give us an, some insight into like how some of these behaviors are changing? Maybe that goes across apparel or fitness or outdoor. I have no idea, but any insight that you can you can provide would be great. Sure. So, um, so let's start with with um, since we're just coming out of January, start with what we can what we call New Year, New You types of topics. So, things around uh, diet, nutrition, fitness. So, one of the most interesting things, you know, our books allow us to see both what is on the uptick and also what's on the downswing. So, New Year, New You categories in books are are is one area where we've been seeing a incremental decline since 2018 in these sales of these books. Um, and I think that what's been happening when we line that up and look at some data from our from our sporting goods um, and apparel categories is that during the pandemic, we saw, I think, a transition of a lot of this behavior to digital platforms. So people who are stuck at home bought Pelotons, bought Mirror Fitness, uh, connected with training online. They had to figure out how to do a lot of this at home. And also we saw um, an uptick in wearables. So things related to the Apple Watch and Apple Health and sneaker programs and all that. And so I think that this is a case where we're actually seeing uh, a transition from more of a traditional book-based reference behavior to a digital behavior. And we see a lot of corollary, corollary data around that that bears that out. But in other areas of, of the store, so here's another example that I just stumbled across yesterday. Um, one of the highest growth areas uh, in the cookbook, um, the cooking category in Q4 was baby food. So books related to baby food. And when we took a look at the titles that were driving that, why that was growing, we found that there is a, there is a really interesting trend uh, among young mothers towards something called baby-led weaning, which is basically feeding your baby rather than going to baby food, right? So it, an intermediate step of like pureed baby food, going right from, from uh, milk and formula to solid foods. And so these are, um, so there's a whole movement, it's TikTok driven largely, but not entirely, to give babies full meals um, in appropriate sizes for them. But that has driven a whole lot of interest in books having to do with appropriate foods for this particular type of weaning. So that's really interesting to me. Should be interesting to anybody who makes baby food also, potentially, yeah. right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And it, you know what? Um, I, I I believe it. There is like so many little gadgets too for making baby food at home, you know, little, little mills and things like that. Um, and part of it is it's also very more, it's more affordable, I'm sure for many, if you have the time. Um but that could lead to a significant change in the go-to-market strategy for baby food. And we've seen that even generationally, um, you know, that 
we see a shift occurring. Maybe it's with like plant-based milks being more popular than dairy-based milks for younger generations. Younger generations interested in different types of meat than older generations. So what is that going to do for demand for very traditional things like pork roast or veal that younger people simply aren't interested in? Yep. I think that that's, I mean, vegan cook, vegan cookbooks are another area of growth, right? Right now mm-hmm. for the same reason, sort of plant, I'm real interested in plant-based eating. And I think that that also, that's a really nice segue into a larger trend, which we've pinned um, that is much bigger than just what we see in books. We're seeing it in many areas of general merchandise, which is a real consumer focus, not a greenwashing focus, but a really significant emphasis on sustainability emerging. And I think that this is very generational. So we, you know, everybody knows the the headlines about the growth in electric car sales, for instance, or, um, you know, <clears throat> with climate change awareness of plas- plastics and microplastics and all that sort of thing, but it's coming out in other ways. So in our crafting and hobby categories, we see a, a real interest in mending and in um, fiber, like crochet and knitting. So handmade goods. We know in our apparel business that we're seeing a very strong trend towards resale. And we know from consumer research that younger generations are way more likely to look for something that they want on a resale site before they before they go for it new if they can find it. So there's just a lot of really interesting things. And I think that the one of the big takeaways that I try to share with clients and especially non-book clients, right, are that these days, I think the gener- the generation that's emerging right now for me, like under the age of 35, is one of the most powerful consumer forces that I see emerging. This is the TikTok generation, right? This is the generation of moms who are trading tips on, you know, on weaning on TikTok. Um, it's very different. And they are buying a lot of products and they're recommending a lot of products. And that because I think they're fundamentally different than older generations. It's so critical for clients in all of the areas that we serve this in our new combined company that people are looking at very closely at consumer data because I think that the that you know the generations are 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 emerging as quite different. And to your point about you know pot roast, right? Like it's really important to understand who's your client for what kind of food you're selling or what kind of product you're making and also what younger generations who are emerging are going to be looking for. And I want to make two connections there because I completely agree with you. And I feel like some of those, let's just call them, you know, more traditional meat producers should be on TikTok explaining to younger generations, like the benefits of some of these products, you know, because you have to be where the consumers are. And I also want to comment on sustainability because, again, our data completely um, matches your own. We do some great work with NYU every year on sustainability in consumer products. And we have found that the younger generations, even though they're the ones who don't have the, the money to spend on more expensive, sustainably marketed products, they are the ones who are demanding it. Like they over-index on a lot of products, even if they're not spending as much money across the board as older generations. So absolutely, again, I agree with you, but I'm just so interested to see how that how that looks in some of these other ca- categories. I just, I'm so fascinated by, by that. So I, I'm also, you mentioned TikTok. 
But I've heard you mention book tech. So can you tell us non-book follow book industry followers, what is book tech? So book talk is the um, book influencer community. I mean, literally book talk is a hashtag on TikTok that's been used tens of billions of times by now. I haven't looked at it today, but it's, you know, it's, it's tens of billions of times. And so this is a pretty influential area of book influence. Um, 80% of these, uh, of these folks are under the age of 35. That's why for me, 35 is a really important benchmark. Um, and unlike other areas of social media book communities in the past, book talk has proven to be extremely um, strong at converting fans to, to buyers. So we track about 100 authors that have been embraced by this book talk community that where they're really excited about them and talking about them and, and recommending them. And we saw growth among these book talk authors of about 46% last year, year over year. And this year it's up 66% above that. So the growth in this, this um, list of authors and in this community of the sales that, that um, are coming through here are really pretty amazing. And they're so strong that it was really the only area of growth in the U S book market last year, because the year before was one of our biggest years on record. So we were comping against very difficult um, sales uh, to match in 2022, but yet fiction, which is, the majority of that is coming from this book talk um, community that was very robust and it's continuing to be very strong. And it's significant enough that it is, it's basically, these are new, in my opinion, emerging, it's an emerging readership. So new fans and they are bringing new authors up. So these are not your traditional authors. These are by and large young authors, uh, very genre driven. So they're big in romance, they're big in thrillers, they're big in uh, fantasy. But these are not, you know, the best selling authors that we typically think of in these categories. So for instance, Colleen Hoover, who was the number one author off this list last year, uh, sold 14.3 million units of her titles last year after having sold less than 200,000 in 2020. Wow. So it's basically, I mean, it's like a I mean, it's like winning the lottery for her and it was enough to, I mean, her combined sales outsold John Grisham, James Patterson, JK Rowling and Stephen King combined last year. So this is a really powerful, you know, phenomenon. And outside of book talk, there are lots of pockets of, of um, interest that are driving, you know, driving new patterns. So that I mentioned the baby led weaning phenomenon that we see pushing cookbooks for baby food. That's a TikTok phenomenon. We saw, um, we've seen uh, a lot of really uh, strong interest in things like horror. We've pinned horror as a thematic, pretty strong theme this year. People seem to have a little bit more of a taste for the dark this year. So there is a horror talk um, hashtag community, which is books, movies, TV shows, uh, apparel, like a whole bunch of stuff in the horror um, genre that's popping. Uh, and a re another really interesting thing that we found um, in the last couple of weeks is there was a publisher that jumped onto my list as a high growth publisher that I hadn't really seen before. Uh, and I wanted to understand what was driving it, what was driving their growth. 
And it turned out to be that they published a series of books called My Little Book of Dior, My Little Book of Louis Vuitton, My Little Book of Chanel. So a whole little series of um, histories of these popular luxury brands. And when I went, the, my first now my first stop when I want to figure out why something is growing is TikTok. And so I went over there and I discovered that at the intersection of luxury, collectible, and home decor, there was a whole group of really excited um, folks who were like really loving and recommending and buying these books. Some of them are buying them because they wanted to have an affordable piece of Louis Vuitton in their home. Like it was a really nice way to bring, you know, to bring that brand in. Others were using them as decor. So really excited about, you know, being able to represent their taste on the coffee table. Uh, some of them were, were gifting them. There was a lot of talk about where they got them and how they were using them. And then there was a whole fashion collectibles piece of it. So anyway, it was pretty robust and there, it was touching multiple types of merchandise. So it was fashion, it was books, it was aspiration, it was luxury. And that that that's totally outside of book talk. That's just another phenomenon. And so, yeah, these days, if I see something growing, I almost always go check TikTok first to see what's going on. So interesting. And so I'm thinking of two things. First, with like the little book of that speaks to me of the opportunities that are still available for premium goods, um, particularly in my space of consumer products, you know, that there's still pockets where even though premium was really driving a lot of growth throughout the pandemic, and now inflationary pressures are are putting a damper on that, there's still pockets where people want to treat themselves. And frankly, you know, overall, consumer products are a little more affordable. And the other is, as you were talking about things like horror, or again, these luxury name brands, I'm thinking of like licensing opportunities. I can't really see, like I'm not really doing a great job of envisioning how horror would come out as a licensing opportunity, but I bet there is. And I bet you see a lot of correlation with licensing. For sure. Yeah. I mean, that's another thing that's really interesting about this, about our book's database is because we, it, it's one of the deepest um, sources of, of licensing data that we have. So we listen for about 3000 licenses in this data. We find uh, in any given week, about 500 licenses attached to books that sell out through the market. And some of those are adult licenses. Uh, many of them are juvenile licenses. So um, yeah, so we, we do, we are able to see also new licenses hitting the market or interesting licensing deals that are coming. On the horror front, I mean, I I think there's all kinds of opportunity for horror licensing. I mean, the most obvious being maybe apparel, but then there is there's games and there's um, there's dec- you know like home goods, decorative stuff, and you know you look at the success of a show like Wednesday, for instance, on Netflix, and and you know what happens when you cross kind of the goth aesthetic with with um, with humor, like there's just a lot of things that could be done there. And that's another thing that we really enjoy watching and flagging in our data. Cause it's, it, we have a lot of licensors who work with us specifically because we have the ability to actually track licenses on a weekly basis, almost in real time. So it's pretty cool. That is so awesome. So as we wrap up, I just want to kind of touch on a couple of the things that, that you mentioned. And first of all, that, that books are the idea market and that you are truly tracking 
consumer behaviors, consumer interests through books. And I just think that there's so much insight to be gained from that across all of the industries that we cover and beyond, of course. I just, again, so excited about it. I am fascinated by your ability to track all the behaviors throughout the pandemic and see what's still trending, you know, maybe not as dramatically, but still far higher than pre-pandemic, as well as some of the things that really hit their peak and are kind of sliding off. Um, And of course, I'm so happy to hear personally that things associated with the consumer products market are still very robust. I think it's interesting, too, that you even talked about how some some of these behaviors or some of these interests are more aligned with digital, um, you know, like the digital connection than actual paper books. So that's interesting. And of course, the generational piece, talking about the power of these younger consumers, particularly thanks to TikTok, thanks to the influencers on TikTok. And I'm a big supporter of some of the things that interest them, including, you know, thrift and sustainability and upselling. Um, and But that there's still room for some luxury in there, some pampering, um, because we're all worth a little, a little something like that. I, I will say they're an aspirational group, right? So I think that that's really interesting to me to see what is interesting to them. And they also have a great sense of humor and they love creative new things. So yeah, it's all, it's all going to be super fascinating to watch them continue to to uh, act on the market, I think. Yeah. So one last thing um, for listeners, um, Kristen McLean will be speaking at our growth summit in March in Las Vegas. Um, So please check out iriworldwide.com to learn more about growth summit and Kristen's participation. And Kristen, I'm so grateful for your time and your insight. It's really been a great conversation. Thank you. Oh, it's been my pleasure. I really look forward to more of these conversations in the future. Absolutely. Bye. Bye, Joan. Thanks. Thank you for listening. Please become a subscriber and let us know what you want to learn more about. We'll serve it up in a future IRI Growth Insights episode. Look for us wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to review IRI Growth Insights. Also, visit us on the web at iriworldwide.com and connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn.